Today is April 30th, 2021. This is the Friendship News Hour presented to you by Bummer Dude Media. My name is Frank Huerta, and I am joined by Alex Kenzie. Good afternoon, Alex. Good afternoon. You, you have such like a cool way to say your name. My name just sounds like so... Uh, it's like Frank Huerta and Alex Kenzie. I can call you Alexander if it helps. <laughs> just, I just wish I had a cool name, man. But uh, I'm good, man. How about you? Yeah, I'm all right. Um, woke up in some cold sweats, some shakes, and breaking Ooh. a fever from my second Pfizer <sighs> vaccine. Okay. Um, it sucked. You got but it yesterday? It, se- it seems to be gone or at least getting out of my system. You got the shot yesterday? Yeah, it was my second yesterday. I got it okay. around 1045 in the morning and had to take Jacqueline to the airport at 930. Went to bed at like 1030, 11. I was fine and woke up in the middle of the night, freezing cold and shivering and mm. got my blanket and woke up around five with a fever and shakes and just uh, it's super achy too God, i feel like mm-hmm. i hit, hit by a mac truck man just every part of my body ached so it was not a lot of fun yeah i got my second one like two weeks ago and the same thing i got the shot felt fine that day a little arm soreness like like going to do like that would would, right. would be not exactly comfortable and then I woke up the next morning, dude, and same thing you're kind of describing, dude. I just felt like I got hit by a truck. I had zero energy. I just wanted to f- just lay there, do nothing. Um, yeah. And then, so I just did. I just kind of chilled all day. And then I woke up the next morning, and I was in, like, a full sweat. I'm laying in, like, a wet-ass T-shirt. My bed's all wet, pillows all wet, like when you sweat out of fever. But I felt completely fine. So hopefully tomorrow you feel better. Yeah, I hope it's a one-day thing. I mean, that's what I've been told. Um Jacqueline went through the same thing. She had a fever and broke it in a day and then it was fine the next. So hopefully that's all it is. It's the worst I felt since the pandemic started. (laughs) I saw this thing online that cracked me up because it's happening to me right now. It said, I made it through a year long global pandemic, but pollen is kicking my ass. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I never got COVID (laughs) once during the whole thing, but like this whole week I've just been literally just constantly congested the whole time. And it's like, man, that's just worse than COVID was to me. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> seriously. Oh, man. Um, well, I wanted to start today's show off with a quick story of friendship. This mm-hmm. is the Friendship News Hour, after all. And mm-hmm. We've been going into some pretty heavy topics as of late, so I wanted to switch up a little bit. Heard about this story. Um, it's actually a book coming out called Saving My Enemy. And uh, the book is written by Bob Welch, who's written uh, a bunch of different his- historical books, mostly at World War II. And this is a story of two enemies who fought against each other and became friends decades after the fact and had their friendship transcend generations. It re- just a really cool story. Um, and uh, I think it like- helps us put into perspective just how silly our quabbles are uh, in, in the here and now. Uh, particularly when you look at them through the scope uh, and the lens of what these guys uh, had gone through. Mm -hmm. So the story follows Don Malarkey, who's an American who grew up in Astoria, Oregon, um, who's part of the Easy Company. And if you are familiar with Easy Company or World War II, that's the Band of Brothers. That's uh, what the show was, was about. 
um, was about the company that this John Malarkey was in. Mm. So he grows up in Oregon and and has a great life, you know, backcountry Oregon, fishing, hunting, playing. Had dreams of going to University of Oregon and being a a uh, a lawyer. And then World War II comes along, so um, he had had a couple uncles that died in World War One. He felt a calling to go serve his country, and uh, so off to war he went. And uh, the counterpart of the story is uh, Fritz Engelbert, who was a German national and a member of the Hitler Youth. And uh, if you've ever watched Jojo Rabbit, you ever seen that, that movie? I, I need to. No, I still have not seen it. It's uh, it follows a kid in in Hitler in Hitler's uh, youth in in uh, Nazi Germany. Um, so if you've seen that movie, you'll get an idea of what Fritz Engelbert went through as a child. It's like basically Boy Scouts on on steroids. Uh, you know, ton of racism, a bunch of military aggression, and uh, Hitler's more or less replaced uh, God for the for the German people at this time. So you know, these kids are praying to Hitler, and little girls would come home from from Hitler youth camp and tell their parents they loved Hitler more than them, and you know, the parents would probably tell him that was a good thing. I mean, this is just what the time, Jesus. the time yeah. was, uh, ironically, uh, this guy, Fritz's dad was not sold on Hitler. Uh, he served in world war one. He saw the destruction of war and he s- saw Hitler's dad or this, the, Fritz's dad saw Hitler as just a guy who was going to inevitably lead the country to war and to ruin. So it was a big embarrassment for Fritz and, and he had to sort of, walk the balance pole of being in this Hitler youth and, and, and subscribing to everything that they did while their parents helped Jewish people. And, you know, if, if you're in the Hitler youth this time, you're probably being directed to tell on anybody. It, parents be damned, you know, anybody who's helping yeah. Jews, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're, you're supposed to, you're supposed to be part of the, uh, of the uh, sect that, is, is trying to get rid of these people. So uh, once Kristallnacht happened, uh, Fritz remarks that he was 16 and uh, Kristallnacht is when they went and burned down all the Jewish businesses and uh, in Germany and, and, and really started an offensive on the, on the Jewish people, started wrangling them up and, and sending them away to, to camps. And um, he remarked to smirking and just kind of thinking, yes, it's happening. You know, this was just what he was about. So, um, there, there's a couple themes in this story. And, and one of them is the universal theme of guilt, right? So, so the war goes on. Um, Don is wrecked with guilt after the war because of all the Germans that he killed, uh, including a 16 year old boy. And the fact that so many of his, his brothers in arms weren't able to make the trip back home. Uh, he turns to alcohol, but he becomes an alcoholic. He would be remarked as saying that every time he uh, finished a, a glass of whiskey, he would see uh, every man that he left in Barstone. So he, he just, you know, has a ton of guilt about his part in the war. Now, now Fritz, um, he never killed anybody in the war. But after the war, as Germany fell and as the atrocities of Nazi Germany came to light, um, he couldn't help feeling guilty for being a pawn in, in the Hitler youth and, 
um, later on in the war and, and just kind of being a pawn for Nazi Germany. So um, he wasn't an alcoholic, but he was just a silent brooder. You know, he just kind of kept in that internal storm and uh, threw himself into his work, but nothing ever really got better for him. And, uh, you know, his kids noticed it and he, he wore it on his sleeve. It was very apparent. So anyway, we fast forward to 2004. There's a sergeant in the U.S. military by the name of Billy Maloney. He's in charge of some soldiers, some soldiers in Iraq. And he thought it was a good idea to get some of the Band of Brothers guys in to help rally the troops in Iraq. So um, one thing led to another. And, and the sergeant had this idea, hey, what if we bring these Band of Brothers guys to Germany hmm. and have them meet up with some Germans? Hmm. And uh, everybody thought it was just a crazy, <laughs> stupid idea, as you might, as you might imagine. Yeah. Um, but they called up the Easy Company guys and, and they asked them and they kind of said, hey, you know, why not? Let's, let's give it a go. And they contacted some, German, some Germans who were still living in Germany that served in the war. And um, they were reluctant as well, but they came and uh, they met up at this pub in Germany. And um, hmm. Fritz was on the fence of, of going and, and his, his sons pleaded with them and they said, Hey, listen, I think this is going to help you. I think this is going to help heal your wounds. Um, I think this might be good for you. They pled with him to go. And, and so he went and, uh, his biggest reservation, and you know, we never think of this cause to the victors go the spoils, but his biggest reservation was, was why would I go and meet with these people that, uh, embarrassed our country and now they're movie stars, you know, mm. just feeling so jaded about the fact, not only that Germany lost, but that all the glory goes to the Americans. They're making this Band of Brothers show and, and uh, Saving Private Ryan movies and all this. And um, so he was, he was really jaded about the whole thing. But anyway, he, he gave in, decided to go. And uh, when, when Don meets Fritz for the very first time, he says, hey, Fritzy, it's a good thing I didn't meet you 60 years ago because I would have killed you. And Damn, then, that's you know, a hell of an opening of line. He puts his finger to his neck and does one of those. <laughs> so Fritz is like, fuck this. He gets up immediately, <laughs> pushes his chair in, starts to leave, and then Don kind of realizes he is a dick, and he raised his glass, and he said, here's to Fritz Engelbert, the newest member of the Band of Brothers. And um, it really touched Fritz. It, you know, it kind of took him aback that he would do that, and it motivated him to stay and talk with, with all the members of the, of the easy company that were there. And, uh, Fritz and Don particularly, you know, got along really well and they would begin to talk about their part in the war. And one thing led to another and they both realized that neither of them were really culpable for the things that were, weighing them down, right? Fritz forgave Don for killing all the Germans that he did and, and, and playing his bloody part in the war. And he basically said, Hey, you didn't, you didn't have a chance, you know, you, you didn't, you really didn't have any choice. You had to serve your country. And Don sort of forgave Fritz for the shame he felt for, you know, being a part of the Hitler youth. Again, you know, you didn't really have a choice. You're a kid, you're impressionable. Right. And, uh, you know, you, you, you fell into this trap that you, pretty much had no control over. So mm -hmm. 
it really loosened the tensions of, of both men and, and, um, as they began to form a relationship, um, the daughter of Don and the sons of Fritz began to form a relationship and Don's daughter invited Fritz's sons to Portland, Oregon, where there was an easy company reunion. So this is just a reunion of all the men that served in the easy company. And she invited Fritz's two sons, which is such a wild thing. I mean, these men are entering this room where if any of these other guys were more successful at what they did in the war, these two guys probably wouldn't have been there, you know, the sons yeah. of Fritz. So it's just a weird, weird thing to think about. But they went and the friendship of Don and Fritz became the friendship of their offspring, their kids, hmm. and transcended generations. Um, and it's like, you know, it, if they can do it, if these people can be uh, an example of putting differences aside, albeit 60 years later, but if they can be an example of the realization of humanity and that we are way more alike than we're different and we both we all suffer from the same ailments. We all feel grief and we all feel guilt and we all feel shame and we all feel hurt. Uh, and if these two men can realize it, I don't know that any of us have an excuse. And, uh, so just a, just a quick little story of friendship. That's beautifully put Franklin. Um, yeah, that's a great lesson, man. And it definitely can be applied to today. Um, you know, maybe not on as drastic of a, as a, a level, or a comparison as they, they had and, and what they went through. Um, but I mean, even between me and you, there's tons of shit that we disagree about. We, we went and argued for an hour about uh, Biden's plan and religion and all these different things. And at the end of the day, it's like we are not going to agree on everything. And this is for people all over the country. But like you can still sit and talk and have relationships with people without being 100 percent on the same page and agreeing on everything and it's it's so lost today i feel like it's so so divisive these days yeah and, and you know if you're going off to war even if you're an american you're you're not taught about the person behind the other gun being a dad or an uncle or yeah. a son or you're you're not taught about their humanism you're taught about them as being an enemy so yep the that ta i mean it's just so hard to lose it because we're we don't think of ourselves at, at war we're not killing people um but but we're at our tr uh, at each other's throats nonetheless mm -hmm. and i think it's very easy for us to dehumanize people that we don't agree with right it's not that you're you know it's not that we agree on one issue or another it's not that we agree on you know a, a, a policing issue or, or, or something like that it's that you or I are racist or we're, mm. we don't care about, um, this particular group of people's lives. We don't care about the advancement of these people. You know, it's, it's, it's not that our ideas are bad, but it's like inherently our ideas make us bad. Yeah. And you know, that's the same thing that they teach people who are going off to war. Yeah. No, that's 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 a great uh, that's a great story, man. We are all yeah. about friendship here. I love it. I love to hear about. Yeah, that. if you want to learn more about this story, I, I I may not have done it great justice, but it's called "Saving My Enemy." It's written by Bob Welsh, and uh, it is out now on uh, all platforms that you can buy a book and uh, Audible as well. We'll post a link on the Twitter for people to find on Amazon or something too, if you want to buy it. Um, 
Most but uh, to, to touch just really quickly on kind of what we were talking about last episode with the, uh, the whole Biden plan, um, did you watch the speech? I watched about 25 minutes of it. Okay. What, what were your impressions? Well, the, the part that I heard was actually not terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, he was talking about making sure that everything that we bought was American made. He was talking about revamping the American, uh, infrastructure and the amount of jobs that that would create and, you know, bringing things towards a, a greener future. Um, so he was saying a lot of really good things. And, and I think that's apparent in the, in the polls. Um, I, I think about 85% of the people were in favor of, of his speech or, or viewed his speech as favorable. Um, but at the end of the day, the attempt here is to rewrite the contract between the government and the American people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, the thought here is that government is going to be the driver of, uh, growth and innovation and, um, yeah, I buy it. I don't, I, yeah. Not my cup of tea, but, but that's, you know, that's, that's where it's going. So, uh, I I was actually really surprised because like anytime he speaks in in all the debates and and anytime I see him on TV, I'm always like waiting for him to like, just say that thing or mess up. Like he, just to watch him like fumble through sentences. Like, I think it's, it's funny to me. (laughs) Yeah. It it sounds bad to say about the president of the United States, but it's, it's funny to me. I I think he is going through some form of dementia in one way or the other. Um, Whether he's fit to lead or not, who knows? But um, I actually was really like kind of impressed, like how he kept it together through this speech. Um, I mean, he's reading from a teleprompter. But I mean, I, I would assume he is most times he's given speeches and, uh, well, he doesn't give I speeches. I don't know. Huh? He doesn't give speeches and he doesn't do press conferences. So that's kind of the, ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay. I guess, yeah, I'm, I guess I'm more thinking back to debates and, and things like that. But, um, I, I don't know. I was just surprised. He kind of kept it together. I didn't have any of those moments where I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he, he made one point just to touch on quickly. I want to get to some other stuff today, but that just kind of like. I had to look it up because I'm like, there's no way that's real. But like, it's kind of got to be if he's making a, a statement to Congress, like he can't, he's not just pulling the shit out of his ass. Um, but he made a statement that said 55 of our nation's biggest corporations paid $0 in federal tax last year. And that those corporations made a combined $40 billion in profit. That shocked that like blew me away. So I'm like, okay, this is, this is probably there's twists in something. This is, this cannot be right. Like this, this, there's no way. So I look it up, and according to the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy, it is 100% true. <laughs> like, all the way, completely true. Um, and I'll post a link up on our Twitter about it. It has it all outlined here. But just to go through a couple of, of these, these companies, um, FedEx zeroed out its federal income tax on $1.2 billion of U.S. pre-tax income in 2020 and received a rebate of $230 million. Now, they delivered a lot of vaccines, so there could be some grace there. I I, I can understand that. Um, The shoe manufacturer, Nike, didn't pay a dime of federal income tax on almost $2.9 billion of U.S. pre-tax income last year. Instead, they enjoyed a $109 million tax rebate. Uh, Dish Network paid no federal income tax on $2.5 billion of U.S. income in 2020. 
The software company Salesforce paid zero tax on $2.6 billion. Um, and, you know, you always have like the popular Amazon, how they have all these loopholes. And that, that kind of blew my mind, man, because it's like there, there shouldn't exist all these loopholes for all these companies to not support or contribute to a plan like this, this huge $2 trillion plan, which is a ton of money, shit ton of money. Um, but like, if this is, this is true and it is, and there's a whole list, they go company by company through the, you can see all 55 of these. I'll post the, the link right from ITEP's website. Um, that, that's got to change. Like that, that can't, that, that can't exist. Like that, this money alone could, could help fix a lot of problems in our country if these companies just played by the rules. But instead you have these tax loopholes and deductions that they get for, you know, offshoring their jobs or shifting their profits and claiming them over in one place or another. And I, I don't know, I, that just really shocked me that there's, this, like, I, you always hear about Amazon and some of these bigger ones, but I didn't realize there were so many companies uh, taking advantage of this and kind of taking advantage of the American people who they make their money off of. Yeah, it is. It, 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 it's certainly concerning with the dollar amount that these companies bring in. Um, I don't know how they do it. I, I got to imagine it's like offshore loopholes and they have really good attorneys and um and things like that so I, the thing something like the tax code to me is just yeah it's crazy. I, I almost don't even ever want to want to consider because it's just so complicated but sure. um but yeah man it it is uh it is I, it is kind of a slap in the face yeah and i see i saw that when i read this and i kind of was thinking about your argument about how the rich shouldn't be vilified for the money that they make. And, and I think you do have a really good point there. Maybe they don't have to be if the corporations themselves, who are just, you know, shells, they're imagined, like whatever you want to call it, if they actually contributed, maybe that could fix the problem where the rich can keep their money and they don't feel like they're being attacked and, and vilified for, for working hard and earning their money. Um, and then, but also like the middle class, lower class doesn't have to have their taxes hiked in order to get anything really done that would actually benefit them. And it's, it, this seems like a way to kind of meet in the middle, tax these corporations that reside here, do business here, make money here, uh, you know, make them contribute. Like, there's no way that you should make bi millions and billions of dollars and not pay taxes. That's just insane. Well, and, and also I think we, we have to remember that we're just talking about federal taxes. Sure. Um, yeah. You still got state. Yeah. So I got to imagine that I got to imagine that their tax bill is in zero and I could be wrong, but I don't think that it's zero. I remember hearing about this way back when in, in, in business school when, and, and I, I can't really speak competently on it because I don't remember the exact, the exact facts on it. But I remember that there was like, it's like, yeah, they don't pay any federal taxes, but there are taxes they pay. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if it if it does make sense to begin taxing these these companies like that. Um, if they found a way to not pay this federal tax, then you know, it's yeah, it's only one thing. It's only one thing that they have on their books that they don't have an expense on. Um, yeah, and if they're paying taxes to the states that they operate in if that's the case i have way less of a problem with it but um, then why are we paying federal tax we pay state and federal tax on the money we make well we're not a corporation that's that's a whole sure. that's a whole different law man i mean yeah. i don't and i don't know how it works i don't know the first thing about 
corporate tax law. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, me either. But it, I, yeah, I, I mean, it, it is it is a big, big, huge slap in the face when you know, especially if you're like, if you're an American in like the upper middle class, like your let's say your income is like a hundred fifty, hundred seventy five thousand dollars, and you jump into this giant tax bracket and you're taxed out the ass and you're not like you're not struggling but you're also not rolling in it right and you see somebody like amazon not paying any federal tax yeah i mean (laughs) that's got to be a big huge slap in the face to those people for sure you got jeff bezos who's a trillionaire he could pay for this whole economic biden package by himself man (laughs) shit yeah well and that's another thing that's another thing when when it gets thrown around that I feel like I, I have to say something about because it's I see a lot of things on Twitter and Instagram. It's like, oh well, you know, wealth inequality and Jeff Bezos has this much money and he could effectively cure this, this, and this mm-hmm. and still have this much left over. It's like you don't understand. That man is not cash rich a billion dollars. Yeah, That's not how right. that works. Right. They have a billion dollars in the bank. Matter of fact, Amazon Amazon, um, like the Amazon you and I know that you buy things off of, barely makes a profit. I mean, if you look at their, if you look at their revenue margin, their mm-hmm. revenue line, and their and their uh, their actual profit line, the amount of money they keep from what they sell is minuscule amount. Um, so how is he? So how is he like well, the richest man in the world then? Well, that's just what he's. He's the owner of Amazon, and Amazon's yeah. valued at. This dollar amount. X amount. Oh yeah, and he owns so a shit ton of shares. So if he would be probably. able to liquefy all that is Amazon, right? Then yeah, he would have that much money. But he doesn't. I mean, okay. don't get me wrong. He's a very rich man. He has mm-hmm. no problem doing anything in this world. But when you're talking about somebody's worth, their value, how much money they're worth, that is like assets that they have that are not liquid. That is future projections of what of what they're going to make or what their company is going to do or this that and the other i mean there's so much that goes into it so the argument that like we don't need any billionaires like okay yeah maybe but it's not that they're got a billion dollars in the bank it's that they have a billion dollars worth of assets right and it it gets way more complicated (laughs) but anyway off, sure. off and, and and that dude worked for it i gotta say like that dude started a bookstore out of his garage and grew amazon to what it is so he he's He's worked for his money for sure, and, and he's when set you, up. When you, when you see Amazon's earnings calls, uh huh, it's all Amazon Web Services. Yeah, that is their. Yeah. I mean, they're printing money with that thing, so that's that's where they get all of their, <laughs> all of their profit, all of the shit that they don't pay taxes on federal yeah. taxes. It's <laughs> Amazon Web Services. It is not oh. shipping boxes to your front door. Oh, okay, cool. You uh, you get a chance to watch the draft last night. I watched a good chunk of the draft last night. Yeah, what'd you think? Any yeah. uh, any surprises? I, well, first of all, I thought it was well produced. Yeah, for uh, sure. I, Mike Greenberg, I, I love him. <laughs> he I did thought, a great job. <laughs> I did. I did think it was well produced. I I think that they kept the they kept the garbage to a minimum. Mm-hmm. Sort of. Not the garbage. The the stuff outside of football. They touched on things oh, that they yeah. were doing and communities that they were helping and causes that they were serving, but they didn't make a giant deal about anything. It was way more structured towards the football and the players. And um, 
I don't think that they try to go super heavy into like the emotional backstories of these of these players and try to exploit them for that. I thought it was very well produced and very much focused on football. Um, I think that those all these quarterbacks are taking the first round is just a bunch of nonsense. <laughs> the first three picks, man, all quarterbacks, and two of them are from one from BYU and the other one's from North Dakota State. Like that's yeah, that first blew three picks my and mind, then man. five of the first. Five of the top 15, 16? Yeah, but you didn't see a defensive player get off the board till pick eight with with uh, J.C. Horton. So I, that's that's Is that the corner? surprising. Yeah, yeah, cornerback. Yeah, and what a great draft to not need a quarterback. <laughs> yeah, right, for real. You know, I mean, yeah. think about the quarterbacks that were taken off and then the amazing talent that was still left on the board. Mm-hmm. Tremendous, man. I, I, I think it was, a, I, it was a good night if you didn't need a quarterback. And if you needed a quarterback, good luck to you. I mean, who was it? Who drafted that that quarterback from North Dakota State? That was the uh, Niners. He was like third overall. Trey Lance went to the Niners. Is it Niners or yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know, man. It's interesting. I guess I uh, a reach to me. Uh, there was a lot of players I saw that that didn't even play their senior year or their last year in college. They opted out for the COVID year, which is interesting too because you hadn't seen him play in a year. I'm scared, man. My Lions drafted uh, Penny Sewell and. Uh, I think it's a great pick. Like you said, we got we took advantage of a lot of teams needing quarterbacks this year. Uh, even though I don't know if Jared Goff's the answer, but we is have that the Oregon lineman. It is, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah he's tackle. Good. He's good, man. And I didn't realize this. He's twenty years old, and he, yeah. he just sat out a year. So that's what I'm scared about. It's like, well, this dude hasn't played competitively for like a year, but this dude, as when he was eighteen, turning nineteen, was the lineman of the year in all of college football. Yeah, and and this dude. He looks like the real deal, man, but it, it just scares me when you've sat out for a whole year. Yeah, I would hate to see him like come in, blow out a knee the first year, and, and that's it. But um, I'm this. everyone that I'm seeing is rating this pick super highly. Everyone says this guy is, is potentially a future Hall of Famer with, with how he young he is. I think he, yeah, I'd, honestly, I don't know, but I think he looks Samoan, or maybe he's like Islander. Hawaiian or something. Um, yeah, if he's Samoan, game over, dude. <laughs> dude, yeah. You ever, mess around, like, you ever mess around with any Samoans? Yeah, I played football with a couple of them. Yeah. Did you? Pretty strong, strong guys, man. Dude, giant, strong people. Yeah, yeah. I used to, I used to watch them play. They used to play cricket. There's a little cricket mm. uh, pitch. I don't know. I don't know anything about cricket. <laughs> but they used to go play all the time. It was right by my house in Paradise Hills. Um, and yeah, man, just giant, giant people. Fantastically large humans. I was uh, surprised how late Mac Jones went to the. I mean, he, we fell to the Patriots, which that seems like that's like their. That's that 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 seems like a fit to me. But uh, I was surprised to see a quarter a starting quarterback from Alabama, national championship winner, fall behind five other guys or four other guys. Sorry, that. Uh, Three of two of them played at small. I mean, played at BYU and North Dakota State. I, I, Trevor Lawrence obviously should have been the number one pick, no question. Um, and Justin Fields, like I, I do think he's more athletic. He, he definitely has more characteristics that make him a little more desirable. Um, I think he's got a problem with like his eyes, though. Like I think he he he's had a just an interception problem. I think he's a little bit easy to read, but I'm sure that can be coached out of him. Um, but to, to see Mac Jones fall that far, like you think that's just because. What, what the scouts saw was 
he's a pretty good quarterback, but he's just surrounded with ridiculous talent that anyone would thrive that well. Probably. And yeah. And I don't know how this like the scouts what they're looking for because they're not looking they're looking for somebody who's going to develop in the pros and not in in college so to me it's uh, i feel like it's such a tricky job because you have to look at somebody who's playing college football and then determine how those skills transfer over to the nfl um Mm -hmm. i have to imagine that with with um with mac jones i mean how many alabama quarterbacks have turned out besides tua yeah really it's a small sample size from Tua too who knows that's true and justin fields shoot man until an Ohio State quarterback pans out, I, they all get drafted. They all have a bunch of hype, and they all more or less don't do a whole lot. Remember Cardell Jones? <laughs> yeah, Cardell Jones. <laughs> you can go down to Terrell Pryor. Yeah, all the yeah. way back to uh, Troy Smith, and even Tim Tebow. That dude was like one of the most hyped college quarterbacks ever come out of college football I feel like and Tim Tebow won a playoff game against the Steelers <laughs> which is more than any Ohio State quarterback has done in the league <laughs> that's true that's true but he had a pretty short career though I would say but yeah you're right he did he did you see what he's trying to do now uh, I saw him trying to run routes <laughs> dude he's trying and honestly this is what he should have done when he came into the league I honestly believe he might actually still be in the league if he did this um, he, he, he's, so he's trying to become a tight end. He hit up Jacksonville, the Jacksonville Jaguars, uh, to try to go and play for his old coach, Urban Meyer, for whom he won a national championship with, uh, at Florida. Uh, him and Chris Leak kind of had like a dual quarterback, dual threat system, which was awesome. It was really fun to watch. Um, but he was like so headstrong when he came into the league to be a quarterback. I'm a quarterback. I'm a quarterback. And it just didn't work out. He did not have the tools needed. Um, to just have a long, you know, have a career just to sustain longevity in the NFL uh, for whatever reason. And I honestly believe with his size, speed, strength, if he would have come into the league and said, hey, I'll play like a Taysom Hill role. Like, I'd love to play quarterback. That's what I want to do. But if it means that I can have a career, uh, which obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, He didn't know this at the time, but um, I, I think that that is a, a perfect fit. I don't know about now being 10, 12 years, however it's been since he, he's actually come into the league, uh, if his body can sustain it, yada, yada now. Um, I mean, he's been a professional athlete the last five years, though, playing baseball, so who knows? Yeah, it's an interesting path. <laughs> Stubbornly a quarterback and then plays minor league baseball for five years and now wants to be a tight end. I don't know. Best of luck to him. Yeah. I, don't, I, th- I don't think... Uh, we'll see. I, I guess, you know... The, the guy the guy's got drive so more power to him but i don't know if i'm urban meyer i'm i don't know it's funny to see like all of the people that urban meyer is coached because I, I, I looked at a list before it's like a ridiculous amount of like people that have been convicted kind of, of crimes yeah it's insane and then you got yeah. tim tebow who's like the most pure like guy ever uh like just it's just such a contrast it's hilarious well, especially on on those Florida championship team. Yeah, man. Aaron Hernandez. <laughs> a, a Hernandez, right. I guess we couldn't talk about the draft without talking about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, I was just going to say that. That is crazy. I did not expect that at all to, to, to come out yesterday. What is he mad about? I think he... I, I 
deservedly so. I, honestly, I think do that they have not drafted him an offensive weapon. I don't think ever since he's been their starting quarterback for 16 years. Do they have names. never with their. F- well, I, I, but like with their first round pick, they've never made it. When did they draft Devontae Adams? What what round? I don't I'm going to look it up. I have no idea. Let's see. I don't know, but you went to the NFC Championship game last year, and you were a stupid. And and listen, that even if they didn't kick the field goal, there's no guarantee that they would win that game. Um, you know they got they got beat by the by the Bucks, man. That's just what it was. Yeah, you got a good team. You're friggin' MVP and can't win them all. I don't I don't yeah. know what it's like in there. I don't know what he's disgruntled about, but it seems to me that you really couldn't go to a, a situation that's so much better than what you got. True. I, I think he's upset with his legacy, though. I think he feels better than what his, at least his Super Bowl record shows. Because he's only won one. I think he's only been to one. Yeah. Um, so that that's frustrating. And, and if you feel like they're not bringing you in players, Devontae Adams was drafted uh, 53rd overall. So second, second round. late second round. Um, but I know like last year, like everyone was saying, they're going to get him a weapon. They're going to get him a weapon. And then they draft his replacement, essentially, in love. Um, so I think that really pissed him off uh, when he's when he feels like, yo, like we're about to have a good season. I feel good about this new coach. And they did. Like he was the MVP. He had a great year. And like you said, lost in the NFC Championship. But it's like maybe maybe that pick could have been the one that that uh, – you know, gave them that extra skill player that, that, that catches, you know, catches that pass or whatever the hell, like either way, it probably would have done a hell lot more than uh, I think his name is Jordan Love sitting on the bench, you know, like that. It just seems like I could see his frustration, but I totally agree. And I don't know where you go, you know, I mean, maybe San Fran, they got a pretty good defense uh, and they got some offensive weapons, but I, I just don't see another location for him to go. And then with, when you bring the money into it, um, right now, he he is thirty seven point two towards the twenty twenty one cap. If they traded him today, that would be thirty eight point three five million against their full cap for twenty twenty one. And if traded after June first, they the Packers would still owe him or have this against their cap twenty one and a half million for twenty twenty one and seventeen point two million for twenty twenty two. So it's like. And they've dug their feet mm-hmm. in. They're like, we're not trading this dude. This is the MVP of the league. This is our guy. We're, we're not. We're not taking that hit, so it, it's it's a tough situation. I, I mean, I I, could, I can't see him holding out really though. It's like what what are you gonna do, man? Why would you do that? Why would you walk away from those paychecks and from all your teammates? Like it just seems selfish. But I can see his frustration. Yeah, it's I don't know. It, it, more and more in modern sports, the athletes are taking the power and consolidating it for themselves. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that I don't know if he's making demands. He's got to want something. There's got to be something that, or maybe they're just really incompetent in Green Bay, man. I've been in a situation where I've just wanted to not work for the company I worked for. It got to mm-hmm. a point where it's like, look, I appreciate all you've done, and you know we've had a good run. You've invested in me, and um, I just fundamentally do not agree with the organization and I cannot wait to get out of here. That could be Mm -hmm. just what it is. And if that's what it is, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of negotiations. There's not even a draft pick that you could, I mean, there's something that you could get excited about, but at the end of the day, if you're over it, if the management is going to be the same management that's going on there forever and you know that your years in the NFL are limited, I could see that. 
And to be honest, I couldn't blame the guy, really. Yeah, I read a report that said he has zero respect for anybody in the front office. Uh, oh, well, see, there you go. How can you put on a Packers helmet right? and you feel like you hate everybody who's running the organization that you are the face of? And specifically the GM. Him and Brian Gutkunst, I think is how you say his name, or Gutekunst, uh, they, they, they are not fans of, e- of each other. So I, I, I think it's more what you're saying there than maybe the draft picks and whatnot. Yeah. But who knows? I selfishly, as a Detroit Lions fan in the NFC North, would love to see him go play for the Niners or anybody else. That'd be great. Anybody. <laughs> anybody that is, doesn't guarantee two losses for the Lions every year. <laughs> exactly. Oh, oh man. man. Well, I wish the best of luck to him. I, yeah, we'll I think uh, he, he certainly earned his place, and, uh, you know, we'll see. He's we'll see how it goes. It doesn't sure. look like they're willing to budge, though. Yeah. Um, Switching gears, did you hear about um, this this woman that killed a police officer with a car? No. What? It's a crazy story. So um, there's an officer, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to get this name right. It's a, it looks like a Greek name, Anast- Anastasios Sakos, 14-year vet of the uh, NYPD, and he shows up at the scene... Around 2 a.m., and there's a crash. A driver lost control of a vehicle, slammed into a concrete wall. As they're trying to take an exit, car bursts into flames, and uh, everyone's pulled out of the car. One person died. It was crazy. Ah. So after this is happening, um, he was this officer was redirecting traffic, uh, and um, as he's redirecting crash uh, traffic, and, and at 2 a.m. This 2013 Volkswagen Passat uh, hit him. And then after hit him, they sped off. And um, so they they caught up with this woman. Her name is Jessica Bovice. Um, and she blew a .15, which is twice the legal limit in New York. Wow. Uh, she had a suspended driver's license and admitted to smoking weed before getting in the car. Um, as she was getting put into the cop car, she was very apologetic. She was saying how sorry she was. She was sorry that he was dead. She was sorry that she hit him. Uh, and it's a tragedy all around. Now where it gets very interesting is this woman apparently has a podcast and she was in a studio where she was recording this podcast for about two hours and she begins her her facebook or her live stream of her podcast playing the song fuck the police which fine whatever i like that song too and she goes on this screed this big giant long um, offensive against police officers. Mm-hmm. She said, you know, if you said you were signing up for this dangerous job, right? And part of this dangerous job is that you're not supposed to be afraid because part of that job is that people might try and fucking kill you. That's what you're signing up for. It's potential death. That's what you signed up for. Um, she ended the live stream by saying, fuck the police. You guys are nothing. You're nothing but cockroaches. Fuck you. Fuck your family. Fuck your mother. 
all this, right? Now, this could be a coincidence, but a half hour later, she ran into a cop and killed him. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. But if you saw, and I seen a quick video, and it was the girl that was... That had to hit him, and she was getting put in the in the police in the police car and getting taken, presumably off the jail. And they had a bunch of cameras out there, and they were asking her questions. And she's just, you know, just beside herself. You could tell she was very. <laughs> I, I wouldn't go so far as to say she was remorseful, but she was very sad that the situation happened. And she said, "I'm sorry." And they go, "What are you sorry for?" She goes, "I'm sorry that I hit him, and I'm sorry that he's dead." And um, you think that they would be able to prove intent with that podcast? Nah, I don't, you, I, I, I think it's impossible to prove intent unless she just straight up said, yeah, I intended to kill the person and I did it. Oh my God. Um, I mean, she's going to jail either way though. I mean, she, drunk, yeah, I think I mean, she, she faces was drunk. a minimum of 15, oh. 15 years. Oh my God. Um, but just a real tragic story all around. Yeah, um, man. That is insane. So yeah, certainly, certainly not trying to say that this was a, a hate crime towards police. It's just interesting. The timing of it all. Um, yeah. It could have just been, she was fucked up and saw red and, and maybe consciously did make that. Decision. It could, it, it could have been an be, accident too. Right. You're it sh when she was doing her podcast, it was, and it was all on film. She was taking shots. Mm. Um, and she was using really aggressive language and tone against the police. Um, so we'll put a link up on Twitter of the uh, of the uh, of the video uh, or the video that I saw at least of uh, I think it was Inside Edition and they, when they ran the story and they mm -hmm. kind of showed parts of her podcast and then showed her getting into the police car. But uh, yeah, man, sad all around. And uh, you know that police officer left behind a family, wife, and two kids, and um, so just That's just terrible. tragic. Yeah, that is terrible. Another uh, bit of news that, that came out yesterday was that the uh, Biden administration admitted or announced <laughs> that the, it is their intention to ban menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars, including mm. menthol cigarettes. Um, this is a, becoming kind of a big thing really quickly. It, it uh in theory, like it sounds great, like but yeah, cigarettes are bad, yada yada yada. Um, but it, it it seems it seems like an overreach of power to me a little bit. Um, you know, obviously, there's tons of bad things out there that that you know people should have the choice if they want if they choose to do so that they should be able to do it. Like alcohol, for one, it's 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 bad for your body it gets you drunk it puts people behind the wheel of cars or they you know hit people whatever but like it still should be a right to do that and it always has been but the biden administration is pitching this in a way um and i, I don't know if i want to say using the youth but as a way to say that like we're doing this for the youth because we see this as a problem um study came out and it said around 77 percent of african-americans who do smoke cigarettes uh, smoke menthol cigarettes, which are, are worse for you. They, they have uh, fiberglass in them, uh, which uh, gets you more of that buzz and gives you that, that minty taste. Um, so that, that's definitely worse for your health. But where they're seeing a lot of backlash um, is with the flavored cigars. So uh, 
and my, I myself am a little upset because I am a, a smoker of backwoods. That is my, my preference. Um, but many people like white owls, they like swishers, they like all these different kinds. And all of those would be under this, you know, if this goes, if this happens, those would all be gone. Dude, there would be one brand of white owl, one brand of, of backwood that is just plain. Um, which is fine. Like I'm cool with with a plain flavored backwood because I like that that tobacco. T- like that's why I smoke them for is because I feel like it is the most natural tasting of them to me. Um, but you know, a lot of people feel quite differently about that, and like a lot of different variations. They like their white grapes, their peaches, their white Russians, all different kinds. And how um, I can't help but think a little bit that this is like not that they're targeting black people, but that it's like affecting them a lot more than it affects a lot of other people in a way with this policy. Yeah. So it looks like the emphasis is on the flavor and that the, yes. the flavored cigarette is what they're going after the flavored tobacco. Um, I think the argument you can make from a government perspective is that these products are, are certainly affecting low income populations, communities of color, um, who are more likely to use these products. Um, I don't particularly like any one government agency telling me that this one thing is good for me and this one thing is not good for me and it's bad for me, so I'm going to ban it. However, I think it's indisputable the health risks of these kind of products. So for me, I would say, well, I mean, if you had a good argument against why outside of it, just, you know, being for the sake of freedom, then, you know, I'll listen. But it it seems to me a good, a step in the right direction health wise. What is the next step though? Like we're going to ban all flavored alcohol. Like it's, it's, you can't tell people what to enjoy in that regard to me. Like, especially if, if you're a fan of like of Liberty in the vein of health, because like, who's to tell you what is healthy or not healthy. You can go to McDonald's every single day and fill your body with shit. If you want to, you can go and drink at a bar every day if you want to and destroy your liver and all your kidneys and everything. If you want to like a lot of people don't, some people do, but like, that is up. That's the individual liberty to do that. Like you can't be told by the government, in my opinion, like what flavor or variety of a product you're allowed to have. Yeah, I. I um, that's a tough one, right? Yeah. Because if yeah. we were to come out and ne- next week and say, "Hey, we're we're thinking about banning," uh, you know, any fast food product that contains more than twenty ingredients. Mm-hmm. or contains more than five ingredients that are not natural or whatever, you know, like whatever their reasoning is for why it is that that thing is bad. I do agree that you should be able to poison your body however much you want. Um, if you look at the question, I mean, the question is like, why is it that there's a disparity of communities of color that are 
more likely to use these products. Could it be that there's been like targeted marketing mm. to get them to do it? Um, could it be that there are studies that show that smoking menthol cigarettes is just as bad for you or not worse than regular tobacco and that it leads to lifetime use and maybe the banning of menthol cigarettes would be a step in the right direction of people kicking the habit altogether. Man, I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's, it is, it is interesting to ban a segment of tobacco and call it good. You know, if you're still going to sell cigarettes to me, what the hell is the point? You know, yeah. If you that, really want to dissuade yeah, it, yeah. you could just like impose another tax on it, you know, and make it so that it's not even affordable. Give you the yeah. option, but just like yeah, that to me is the best way to is the best yep. way to dissuade anybody is just make it crazy expensive. Sure, it, but uh, yeah, and it just blows my mind that like uh, a large majority of people that perhaps helped him get to his office are now going to be tar- like almost targeted with this policy. It, it just seems, it, it seems backwards to me. It does seem like a very aggressive tactic <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you and I can talk from, ex- I mean, we, we, we live th- that life, you know, we, we know exactly who smokes menthol cigarettes. We know that it's just so funny. I was at work, it's probably about a year ago and my old boss was, at his desk and he had a pair he had a pack of like strawberry swishers mm-hmm. and I was like hey what are you doing with those he goes ah I like to smoke them on a long drive oh you smoke those he goes yeah and I was like I've literally not ever met anybody who didn't <laughs> break that thing down <laughs> swishers that didn't have weed in them yeah right <laughs> and he told me he goes oh I've never seen anybody smoke weed in a swisher and I was like well that is crazy <laughs> um, you know and that's I think I couldn't I couldn't pick out a number out of my head if, if you asked me to. But if I if I were to just sit here and assume, my assumption is that the large majority of flavored cigars are for weed consumption, and probably nothing else. I'm sure there's a decent amount of people who smoke them just to smoke them because they're cheap smokes. You know, I love a black and mild. Um, a wood tip or whatever. I never go get into anything crazy like flavors. You got to freak them though. Always got to freak the blacks. Yes, you do. <laughs> Shout out to Brian Duncan who taught me how to freak a, a black and mild. And Shout Chris Kelly for me. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, man, I, I don't know. It, it's, if you're going to do it, might as well just do it and get rid of tobacco altogether. Um, but maybe there's something we don't know about menthols that is just really bad. So, but I, yeah, yeah, you, you can find bad statistics on all that shit, though, man. Alcohol, fast food, it just it seems weird now to, to, to do that to me. Agreed, agreed. Yeah. Uh, I, I will, I will end my opinion on this by saying, the more freedom, the better, and I'm more likely against the banning of a segment of a product. If 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 you want to ban a whole product wholesale. I'm probably still against it, but I'm way more willing to listen to that than just picking apart one segment of a product like this. This guy fucks with freedom, everybody. Don't forget it. <laughs> well, with that, man, we're about at an hour or so, just under. 
Um, any, any other points, any other things you'd like to make, bring up? Oh, man, I'm going to go chug a bottle of Pedialyte. Oh, yeah. Get better. Um, in the meantime, if there's any questions, comments, concerns of anything we brought up, anything you want to say or ask us, um, if you want to sponsor the podcast, we'd love to hear that. Uh, just shoot us an email over at bummerdude.media at gmail.com. We'll be sure to get back to you. Also want to shout out my good friend, Brianna Harry and her podcast, Away With Words. Check it out. She drops them every week. They're awesome. She's awesome. Uh, she also has a daily one uh, where she just kind of gives you some affirmations, some things to think about as you start your day. I find them very helpful, very uh, calming, just a way to collect myself before I start the work day and deal with all the bullshit that comes with life. So shouts out to her. And uh, with that, we will see you next time. Adios. Adios.